0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This is the Gator Nation football podcast with your hosts Alan Williams and James DeBergillian.
0: This place is an
2: now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know? Welcome
1: back, Gator Nation, to the podcast. It's me, Alan Williams, here with James D. Virgilio. What's up, everybody? Coming to you the day after the Orange and Blue game. Lots of fun things to talk about. It's a beautiful time of year here in Gainesville. James, how you doing over
2: there? I'm doing Very well. It is, it is spring is a great time. We talked about this last time. The weather's great. I mean, it just, everything feels great. Flowers are blooming. You drive around town, right? Everything is like fully green, fully animated. And we had a little bit of football yesterday. And this is a first Alan for the podcast, by the way, to to do a Friday yeah. podcast. Thanks to you. This is your wizardry, because your schedule next week would not allow us to do a Monday recording. So for all of you, if you're if you're listening to this podcast on Friday night or Saturday morning or Sunday even, you can thank Alan for the super quick turnaround here, uh, on the Gator Nation football podcast. It was fun being there. We'll get to talk all about
1: that, but James, why don't we thank a few people first?
2: Yeah, let's do it. As always, if you like the content on this very show, follow us on social media. Sub to our channel on YouTube where you will get the latest film reviews. If you haven't checked those out yet, there's both the breakdown of the offense and the defense. And of course, all of those things were on display in the spring game. So if you had already watched those YouTube videos, you were quite prepared for what you saw happen on the field. And you can support our efforts in our show by becoming a patron on Patreon and dropping us a dono. As always, shout out to those who help us. That's you two listeners. You guys help us all the time with content, with ideas, with mailbags, as well as B-Red and Bama Shane, our video editor and our show run editor, if you will. We did have one medium dono come in from Scotty McLean. Uh, Welcome to the team here, Scotty. Uh, Thanks for your support and your patronage. And still sitting on the throne is Jason Walker sort of sitting on the spring throne, if you will. Um, so thanks again, Jason, for your support. And Alan, we have plenty of Dono Legends, which you read off so well every single episode. And to be a Dono Legend, you have to give $500 in total support, or you were an early supporter where it was a lower amount. So either way, that puts you into the Dono Legend category. Yes, well, thank you, James. Here they are. The big homie, Lil Payton,
1: Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marsalisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kaine, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truett, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rummery, and Craig Scorato. Okay, let's talk about the spring game. Got moved to Thursday night because of Easter weekend. Billy Napier realized he'd made a little faux pas after hearing feedback from everybody. Moved it to Thursday night, which I loved. It was a really beautiful evening. It was a fun time in the game. You were watching TV. I was there live in person. Thoughts from the broadcast itself, or what do you want to talk about first? Yeah, I'll go
2: first, and then I want to hear your thoughts. Obviously, I live, you know, you and I live on the same street, and we live less than two miles from campus, and we spent a lot of time on campus, but I, what I kept hearing all day, and I did not spend time on campus that day, uh, was, was that the buzz on campus felt like a game day. I think people were surprised. Some people probably had no idea that there was an orange or blue game going on, and they were caught by total surprise, and there were so many fans that had come and tailgated and and made it a full game experience that was really neat but at my house we were having a a party and watched it on stream outside and inside the coverage obviously was great for a spring game Um, they missed plays and things here and there they spent a lot of time talking about the program but that's what you'd expect but all in all I think the highest high for for any of you who watched it on the broadcast was that Billy Napier set it up like a real game and it, it viewed very well. Like many spring games are really not great viewing. You and I would go to a plethora of these, you sit in the swamp yeah, with it's your like friends. Glorified practice. But really you're watching practice. Even Urban Meyer would have like maybe one live period, fifteen minutes or so, where he would do some real stuff. But there's stuff happening that's not a game. But Credit to Napier, obviously, for filling this out. And I think that's what brought people into like a full game atmosphere. So what I want to know, obviously, is your firsthand report from actually being there. What did it feel like walking into the stadium? What was the environment there? How was all of that? It was fun. I, You know, they reported maybe like 45,000 people. I don't think there were quite
1: that many there. But enough that you felt like there's a crowd there for sure. I mean, we kind of take for granted. If you put thirty-five, forty thousand 40,000 people in a place, That's that's a lot of people. And, you know, people were wearing game day colors. You saw people with, like, you know, a little bit of, you know, those little gator stickers, you know, the girls put on their cheeks, things like that. Like, people were into it. Um, they really did simulate a game. So they did the all the pregame stuff, Mr. Two Bits. They um, did We Are the Boys into the third quarter. So it had, like, the feel, like, of a real game. And they kept it moving. I think they knew second half. We got to keep this thing going. They didn't let penalties or like clock thing. They just kind of like, oh, that didn't work out. Just keep going, whatever. Offense, just whatever. Um, and they did a running clock in the fourth quarter, which was merciful. Uh, but I had a great time. I mean, you could not have asked for better weather. It was beautiful, nice and breezy. And, you know, under the lights there, I think the players and the fans both felt like, not that there's something on the line, but that this is a meaningful thing. So, Somehow they manufacture that atmosphere out of thin air.
2: Yeah, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 from a marketing, branding, player experience, fan experience, uh, city experience, television experience for a program. It's hard to imagine having a better spring game. And let's remind ourselves that Napier has only been here, yeah, you know, really for three and a half, four months, right? And Not so, having done it here before. Never not, done it here yeah. before. And, and logistically, I think he continues to prove himself to be absolutely top notch when it comes to branding, marketing, creativity, weaving in the new basketball coaches as right. the coaches to bring them into the program. I mean, everything about it. I mean, this guy is an athletic director's dream. He's your major program and here he is like showing off your other new coaches. They get interviewed. You got former players there. It's a spring game, right? For sure. There so, was like also like 300 recruits at this game, which they, I was going to get to. Next most importantly is really what's the purpose of all this? It's fun for you and I to watch and talk about. It's fun for the current players to play in, but you're doing all this cuz you're trying to build a new culture. And that's why I think it was ten out of ten. I mean, this was a great experience for everyone, and for the recruits, they come, fill out the program, some, they get some fans there, they get to meet former players. You're, I mean, there's a lot of fun things were happening. I think that's something Florida's program had been missing for quite some time. We've chronicled this whether it was through Muschamp or McElwain or obviously Mullen is. There's a buzz about Florida right now and it carried over into the spring game. and I think that's an extraordinary accomplishment, right? Um, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah,
1: because there's so many moving pieces when you become a you know, a new coach at a major program like Florida, I think I don't think anyone would have blamed a first year coach if the screws weren't tightened on a perfect spring game, right? that's probably on your list of priorities lower down, but because he's thinking holistically and he's thinking recruiting oriented, he made that a party and he involved a number of people to actually make it happen. So they roped off like the center of the alumni section. They moved the recruits out of like kind of the end zone and put them in the middle there. And they put the former players there, which is kind of interesting, you know, like, OK, we're going to give these people prime seats rather than like end zone seats where you can't really see too much. But um, yeah, I I wouldn't have really thought about it beforehand, but the effort put into it was,
2: you know, maximum. Yeah, really, really fantastic. So both you and I, you being there, me being on television, high marks.
1: Yeah, and let's talk about what a spring game actually is, right? So it is a glorified practice. I kind of joked. I mean, sometimes actually just a practice, like running drills and stuff. And I mean, I remember when you under McIlwain, we didn't have enough offensive linemen to actually do anything. So thankfully that wasn't the case this year. But this is a chance for the players to test themselves and get graded and evaluated. But also – there's certain, you know, dynamics in play that market different than a real game. Obviously, both sides know what the other side is doing somewhat, right? Um, there are different levels of, you know, familiarity because you're splitting the roster in half, theoretically. And so you're not going to see a finished product. But what you're looking for is glimpses, who stands out, what doesn't look ready, what needs improvement, Um was the overall feel of what both units offensively and defensively and maybe special teams, what are they trying to do? Um, And so I think that's just kind of setting the table for this discussion. And I think it's important to know how they decide to split the roster as well. They didn't come out and announce they were putting the first team offense on blue and first team on defense on orange, but they essentially did. If you look at like the stars of the defense, presumably were on that orange team. And most of the uh, presumed offensive starters were on that blue team. Um, they didn't look to balance it. I think they wanted the ones to go against the ones, so you get a real clean look at, like, who's doing what. Like If you had the first-team offense against the second-team defense, that was not going to, like, go well, although it didn't really go well for them anyway. But that's essentially what they tried to do. And the blue team, led by the offense, quote-unquote wins the game 34-0. And normally the score of the spring game is completely un- inconsequential, but I think it does reveal a little bit we'll kind of get to that um you want to go ahead and talk about the offense
2: let's talk about the just in general the the overall impressions so coming into the game there was a lot of discussion it was going to be a rock fight uh and you and i had a chance to to go to practice and and watch Mm -hmm. it and in practice it was it was ugly on offense i mean it was we probably watched for an hour and 15 minutes and, and we we saw a handful of actual completed passes by anybody really rough in stages, but practices are very different. That's why we say this every time, even at practice, when you read these reports all the time from guys who love to publish practice reports, it's basically nonsense because practices are not necessarily depending on what coach you were looking at indicative of what's actually going to happen in a real game. And depending on what you're working on that day, it may not even be important to complete a pass. You might be working on things that are way different than actually completing passes or route running or whatever. In the fall, when you get close to the game days, those practices are much more realistic. But at this state, there's just so much roster building going on, mm-hmm. retooling. And Hard all these guys are learning just simply what to do. What I think that's do. really important Correct. in the spring. When you call
1: a play, does this guy run the right
2: route? Absolutely. What so to do. You can't put the refining right. touches on. And that's what we're saying. So stuff's not going to look clean. So with that being said, people expected, I think, a rock fight both ways. I think people expected how the orange team offense to look sort of how everyone would look, and obviously that is not what happened.
1: And generally the cliche is that the defense is ahead of the offense in spring, right? They have less functionality to learn, less specifics, that made more things carry over.
2: Correct. Now let's talk about, let's yeah. revisit your expectations for the game, and let's recall that this was this was not orchestrated. We've had games in the past That's that true. were orchestrated, and it was a farce. This is not a farce. There was competition between the ones and the twos, mm-hmm. but the, def- the defense was running pre-snap vanilla whatever they ran and post-snap they kept it that way yeah for sure now here's what this highlights and here's what's important i have answered this question so much in the offseason it, kind of, it kind of blows my mind because we have said from the very first minute we had game film of, of uh, anthony richardson against oklahoma in the bowl game we said on this very podcast this dude has all the tools to be a phenomenal passer now you heard steve spurrier said the same thing on this broadcast right but all offseason long i kept getting questions Hey, do you think he can actually pass? And it's, wait, what? How, how are you asking me that question? Have you seen what this guy can do? Well, here is proof that a quarterback is, is very far ahead with his reading ability. If you stay the same pre-snap and post-snap, he will murder you. That's exactly what was happening. He was destroying them because it's too easy for him. He knows exactly where to go with the football, but we should not sleep on that. I say this every year on the podcast, very few college quarterbacks, and this is kind of amazing Get to the point to so when they can beat your vanilla cover zero, one, two, three, or four. They don't ever get there. It's, it's, it's a high level quarterbacking skill. In the second half, they threw a little bit more of a challenge at him. They did do a few more things on the back end because I think they were a little frustrated at how bad they were getting beat. And that worked to a certain degree. Uh, but all in all, I think the overall impression was Anthony Richardson delivered what you should have wanted him to deliver as a fan if you had any concern about his ability to pass or if last year dan Mullen managed him correctly and perhaps we had some secret we didn't know about him that he has an achilles heel weakness he does not he's the real deal his ceiling is nfl first round draft pick high his ability to read the game his footwork his ball delivery his accuracy is all top notch already and it's going to be the refinement process as he goes through a season to see what can he do game in game out when teams start finding his weaknesses but spring-wise phenomenal and that's the impression that mattered he's what mattered in this impression yeah and so 10 out of 10 there and we can talk about the rest of the offense but that's what mattered the most and it should have mattered to every Gator fan the most and confirmed this guy's a special talent
1: for sure I think he's the headline coming in he's the headline coming out Uh, he looked really crisp and two things that I think the, maybe the national media would it clear he looked efficient and effective, right? Not just an athlete out there making plays, which would be some of his like, I think, persona nationally. But when he takes a snap and he has a read on what you're doing, he's gonna make a decision. He's gonna be confident. We saw this all year last year, even you know, in his like quote unquote worst game against Georgia, which I mean, stay tuned to the NFL draft. They're gonna have like nine dudes on that that defense come out in the first three rounds or whatever. It's going to be crazy. But he was unafraid, right? And he's still, I think, it doesn't mean he's always right, but he's confident and he's decisive, which you have to be a quarterback. And he was on target and on time on those in-breaking routes. The the crosses and the slants looked excellent. And those are things that you wouldn't normally think would be there because that that's not just like a go route. That's not like a little hitch. You need to like have some – things in sync and know where, when and where to go with the ball and the ball has to come out on time. And it did. So he was super impressive. Um, I think just going back to overall, I mean, I think you got to look at what Billy Napier wants to run. How's it going to look? How's it going to feel? A little bit of tempo. Like we've talked about the personnel groupings, theoretically, a lot of tight ends <laughs> couldn't probably deploy as many as we wanted to, but we'll, we'll get to the minute. Um, they're interesting, but that pistol formation, I think you're going to see a lot of that in the fall. And, it's not like radically different, but looks a little different, has a different feel to it. I like it. We talked about, we both like that kind of formation. So you got a little bit of a feel for firsthand. What does it look like with these Gator players running this Napier offense?
2: Yeah. And I think if you watched the YouTube video, what you saw was a very baby stepped version of this mm-hmm, for sure. Right. And, and what you're going to see, hopefully by the early part of this season is something that actually surpasses what Louisiana put on film at the end of last year. Because even though Florida has some some serious talent deficiencies at very important positions, the overall talent is so much higher. And what they can do with a real quarterback like Richardson is going to change what Napier can do. You're going to see a very polished version of the Napier offense. But as you mentioned, Alan, they put install level one in there you saw pistol you saw wide zone you saw inside zone you saw a little bit of gap or power running so you saw the things they're going to feature you saw a lot of play action uh, and largely what you did see is something that we haven't seen in a while out of a florida team and they're playing against each other there were not a lot of negative rushing plays yeah and that is precisely why teams love to run the inside zone we'll talk more about this as we chronicle this season but the inside zone is largely considered a a a non-negative rushing play. It's a very safe rushing play. You double team up the middle. Your running back, if he's good, is able to generally pick where he's going. He's not running through an assigned gap. So even if that gap gets blown up, he has somewhere else to go. And I thought that was on display. You saw a lot of three, four, five, six, seven yard rushes. And that has to happen against an opposition team, right? But that was something different than what you would have seen with the traditional zone read, where you're going to see a lot of other things that Florida used to do. So if you were paying attention, if you had watched the YouTube film breakdown, then you probably had a lot of fun looking at all those new formations that were out there. And most notably, Alan, you mentioned this, Napier's offense relies on tight ends and there were all sorts of people trying to fulfill those roles. The offense will be far less dynamic if you do not have dynamic tight ends. So that's, you know, part of the baby stepping, but it was there. The features were there. It's a very different offense. If you just, kind of tuned in and for the first time saw that offense you're thinking wow this looks very different from what mullen ran and it is in fact very different from what mullen ran almost all the way across the board from who he's attacking and how he's attacking it it's a very different offense so yeah you've looked at the offense a lot on film did that anything change for you did they show you anything you hadn't seen or was it pretty much what you expected yeah exactly what i expected and and again super low level yeah right i mean everything is so simple from from even the the routes that they are running, sure. uh, the depth with which they are running the routes, they're sort of into what I'm going to call like the quick game install only portion of the offense. Even when they're running play action, they're not running the longer developing play action plays yet. They're not there. Everything was happening pretty quickly. You saw Richardson running go routes that he was basically throwing out of a out of a zero step or a zero game where he takes a snap and throws a go route down the sideline. They're developing the base level of the offense. Um, But it was there and you mentioned it. The pistol's the big key. Get used to seeing the pistol. Reminder, what's the pistol? If the running back is behind the quarterback and shotgun, that's the pistol. And you can have a tight end back there with you, a fullback there with you. You can do a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, you'll see that. You'll see a lot more motion than what Florida did yesterday. You'll see a lot, a lot of motion in Napier's offense. They did hardly any pre-snap motioning, orbit motion, jet sweeps, et cetera. So again, day one install, a lot more to come, but the pistol is the main thing. Take that away from what you saw. And then also something maybe a little different here, Alan, they ran a lot of quick tempo. Mm-hmm. Napier is not known for running tempo at that kind of level. Uh, this could be something that he may be utilizing at this level now with the talent that he has thinking that maybe the offense is an advantage over the defense and I'm going to want to play ball control, but also play fast. And I thought the blue team was extremely successful with their tempo. So that was something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Something not like
1: frantic, like a Ole Miss or Auburn back there, where they're just sprinting. They're trying to go literally as fast as they can, but lining up and going and putting a lot of forward pressure on you. And Richardson seemed to be really comfortable with that. Like it wasn't too fast for him. He knew what was going on. He got everybody lined up and going. So I think that that's a positive. He didn't have to take like
2: 45 seconds to figure out what was happening every time. And the big benefit there is why would you run a run tempo? Well, you can stay in the same personnel grouping, which means the defense cannot sub. And out of that 12 personnel, we've talked about this. There's a reason why the NFL loves it. You can run anything. Wide zone, inside zone, power, play action. If you have two good receivers, you can pass to any part of the field. And you have a threat at running back and at quarterback. You're multidimensional. And that is why obviously tempo is something they installed on day one is that's going to be something they feel like they can use against an inferior team to sort of bully them in a package that a lot of college teams don't play against 12 personnel very often anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one reason why, again, the 49ers offense is successful in the NFL year in and year out. And it's the same thing we're trying to do here at Florida.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about AR, um, his stat line for whatever that's worth, 18 of 24, 270 yards, two TDs passing, one rushing. Um, I don't think that really tells the story of how confident he looked, and still how electric he looks. So this is going to be a real problem for teams. Some of those quarterback motions, some of those bootlegs, where he turns the corner and he's picking up ten yards because of his explosion and speed. And even out there, where all they have to do is touch him to down him, he he still scored on a play, a play where all anyone had to do was touch him. And that's got, to, if you're an opposing coach and you see that and you run this action one way and he goes the other way and he has open field, that's just terrifying. So, a lot of fun stuff to come with there. Any other notes on his play?
2: Yeah, I think obviously he still has plenty of things to improve upon. Oh, for sure. Uh, there's a lot of things he'll get better on. And there's a lot of things in this game that could have been even better. He had a few plays that, that were you know not his fault. One gets batted down at the line. Another one is he gets pressure in his face and has to throw the ball a little early. Would have been a big play uh, to Henderson. So all in all, top-notch debut. Probably perfect scenario for, for Napier to be in where he performs really well. And I thought Richardson some of his play perfectly. Felt like he played fine, played good. But recognizes there's just so much for him to learn and so much to improve on, which tells me again, cerebrally he gets it. Like that's what a cerebral quarterback thinks. It's not like, oh, I went out there and dominated. You understand that, like, I need to be able to get this stuff faster. There's reads I missed. There's things they confused me on. I need to be able to move in and out of this stuff. I need to be confident pre-snap where I'm going. Uh and I, I just loved, you know, his comments after the game. And something we're gonna highlight all throughout this this podcast, Alan, is is the marked shift in the regime change and it's already started we have a coach who's publicly praising his players it's weird right it's really weird napier after the game had nothing but great things to say about richardson during the game nothing but great things to say it's yeah it seems so simple but that had not happened right and so hopefully that's going to alleviate some of the issues we have on this podcast where each week we're sort of having to you know, bat conspiracy theories away about why Richardson must be sucking at practice or why he's not getting playing time. Here's your coach saying "Hey, it's pretty easy when 15s back there, which makes you wonder a lot about obviously what happened. Right. But that's a nice change. And I think a lot of what Napier talked about during the game throughout the broadcast, Alan, was honest and insightful. Which was nice. Yeah. You're like, yeah, that's an insightful comment. Yes, that makes sense. Yes, that's exactly where we're weak. And that's what you want. That inspires confidence in the player. So I think the budding relationship between AR and Napier is clear to see. There's a lot of trust there. They're on the same page. Hopefully, they produce big things together.
1: And if we were wondering coming into the game, it's very clear coming out that there's not a, a quarterback competition, <laughs> that Anthony Richardson is clearly QB1, not from his status but from his play. Uh, Let's talk about the rest of the QBs. Firstly, Jack Miller, who didn't look awful, but didn't look good at all. Lacked a lot of the same kind of crispness and command of things. And, you know, he's been here roughly the same amount of time as they are in terms of, you know, being in this system. And, you know, he was playing with the twos, but he's also going against the twos. So, If he was really 1A, 1B with Richardson, not that anyone was claiming, he would have probably had much more success against that second team defense. And yeah, he, you know, I I think mentally what I was expecting from him is that he's going to be a guy who is accurate, knowledgeable, like smart on and off the ball and maybe just lack some of the big zip, some of the highline you know athleticism but that's not really the impression he gave like he looked like he was pretty far behind Richardson doesn't mean he can't get there obviously he's still new i don't want to draw any final conclusions about him or the other two guys we're going to talk about it's too early to close the book on them but um so i don't know if that just elevates Richardson more or if, if Miller's the baseline or if he's maybe not quite the guy we were hoping he would be right out of the shoot
2: yeah, for me, very disappointed with Jack Miller's play. I, you know, there's I had very little tape on the guy, but you come in four star, got reps at Ohio State, obviously known as a cerebral quarterback. And and you know, I talk about this all the time, right? You can look at the technical skills of the quarterback and see where they are. Um, poor fo- poor footwork, poor vision, poor ability to read the field, locking on to receivers frequently. Obviously, he locked all over Frazier's the entire game it was yeah. pretty much the only person he saw um through really really ill-advised terrible passes at times you should just take a sack or he's not even really under pressure so i think he may have just been a bad game for him but i think all in all i i thought when napier protected him a little bit in the in the conversation about hey i have trust in him and i have i have faith in him and he's moved the ball during practice i think a coach says that when you know that this guy is is pretty far behind uh, you wouldn't come out and say you, you wouldn't endorse him that I trust him after one spring game. You could just say, hey, the guy's been killing. It. He had a rough game, but he didn't. And so I think there's he's behind. I think he's behind. I, I have no inside information, but I would have to imagine if I'm in that quarterback room, you know that he's got a lot of stuff he's going to have to work on in the off season. He just doesn't have the the again, the the technical skills you'd want to see arm strength looks average. That's not a technical skill. That's just talent. And then the rest of the stuff is what I thought he would have excelled at. I thought his footwork would have been solid. I thought his reads would have been crisp. I thought he would have been confident with where he was going. His on-time deliveries would have been there. And they just really were not there. So plenty to work on. Don't close the book on him, like you mentioned. But there is a ginormous, you know, humongous ocean between Anthony Richardson and, and Jack Miller. And that creates a concern for the football team yeah because you do need to have a number two that is competent and I think it's very clear that right now if Jack Miller had to quarterback the Florida Gators this team is is like two or three or four maybe wins or losses, different and that is a humongous humongous difference yeah At, at least right now I think
1: you're right if Anthony Richardson disappeared from the planet the Gators situation would drastically you know decrease um and Maybe there's not a gulf between Miller and the next two guys, but there's certainly a large C. Because the other two guys, Jalen Kitlin, Carlos Del Rio Wilson, Wilson, uh, looked extremely raw. Like, looked like maybe true freshmen rather than the redshirt freshmen they're going to be. Um, neither of them really looked like they knew what was going on. And, it's, and Richardson's not a guy who's like a fifth year senior, right? He's not that much older than them. Um. yeah, just not a lot of, like, obvious talent on display. Del Del Rio Wilson looks much more athletic, looks like he's got a little higher of a ceiling. Kitna, I mean, outside dramatic changes and improvement. And, you know, if you're a cerebral kid, you could get to the point where you have such a command offense that you can do things other guys can't. He's obviously not there yet. But he looks like a guy that, if he stays in your program, is always going to be, like, backup emergency guy in case people transfer and you're left with nobody on the roster. Um, But I wouldn't say I left the game with Del Rio Wilson and be like, man, that guy's the future
2: either. No, but definitely I think if you're talking ceiling out of all those guys, just on film, just on the tiny snaps you have, Del Rio Wilson has stuff that you would say, I have stuff that guy can work with and and jack miller has question marks i think i think it's more question marks than gator fans would have hoped he would have had after this and and again that's not just because he struggled it's all the little technical things that quarterbacks require and it goes to show you a couple things that are important one i expect if napier stays here for five years that all of his quarterbacks will start to be consistent there'll be a different in talent like you'll see quarterback two is not as talented but they'll look similar similar reads similar profiles He's dealing with guys that are not necessarily guys he would have selected for his offense and he has to port them in. That's why I think he's disappointed with Miller. I think Miller was a guy he went out and tabbed as a guy that, hey, this guy's probably going to really understand my offense. He's comfortable with it. He gets it. Doesn't look like that's the case. But as you said, he does look like he gets it more than the next two guys. And it's really early, right? It's right. really early. We're just spring ball. Correct. But there's a reason why people could project Kyle Trask being a talented guy is even in spring games. He would come out and you saw him build a football and there was there was a gift there of accuracy, of poise, of confidence, of decision making, of where the ball went. Didn't see any of that with the rest of the backups. So, right. And I
1: don't want to totally write them off because three no, years from now we could be don't, like Carlos Del Rio. And, and Del Rio has
2: do. has stuff that pops. That's kind of the key, sure. right? If anyone were to, to go somewhere and you had to project it now, he has stuff that still pops when he moves, the way he steps up in the pocket, the way he throws the football he has stuff coming out of his hand yeah for sure so the rest of the guys would be a surprise i think that's what we're saying right now miller kitna that'd be surprising if they become top shelf guys it wouldn't be surprising if they became solid quarterbacks who could win in a run oriented offense using play action that would not be surprising and that's what's fun about football there's different ways to get there but if you're looking top level sec caliber kind of guy you know, you have Richardson, a huge golf. And then you have Del Real Wilson, who ha- has stuff, but super raw. Yeah. And then if I had to make a bet
1: on is the next quarterback in the program, which somebody asked us. Yeah, great question. Um, I would say no. Like, if I just had to go yes, no, that means it's somebody that he's going to recruit. I would agree. This fall, or maybe a potentially transfer. Now, again, it wouldn't be like heavy, like crazy odds against, but... That would be our put my money. Um, let's talk about other positions. I and weirdly, I want to start with tight end. Um, a guy that got a lot of praise from the coaching staff is Dante Sanders, who we've spoken about a lot more than a guy who, for a number of steps, he's taken. You know, came in as a tight end. They moved him over to defensive end because they needed bodies. And then the coaching staff were like, "Well, we have no tight ends because three of our tight ends, Elksness, uh, Jonathan Odom, and then." Our injured. Engage Wilcox is now, I think, done with his career because of an injury. So three of your four scholarship tight ends are gone. We got to do something. And they've raved about Xander that he's come in and picked up basically both playbooks. And I was like, okay, he's just gonna be a body there, at tight end. He actually looks like a useful guy there. And I think he's gonna stay there in the fall. I would be surprised if they moved him back to defensive end in case unless of emergency. Um. So it's a cool story. Because he's a big dude, and he can move, and he snagged the ball out of the air really nicely. Like, good kind of tracking of the ball up the field. Not a super easy catch. Runs well. And then Noah Keeter, who's a weird story, You know, I think, I think a scholarship player at UCLA, but came back here as a preferred walk-on as a linebacker. They moved him to tight end. He looked not bad out there either, made some nice catches can really move. It's funny that they're taking these guys and
2: putting them a tight end and having success immediately It shows that they know how to coach the position. At least it does. And I think it shows that's the dy- dynamic ability of the offense. There's so many things to worry about. And the tight end is generally the last thing a defense will worry about and tight ends get the best matchups, right? Uh, you saw them take advantage of, of, you know, five-star Kamari Wilson on the, on the red zone area with obviously Keeter and, you know, Wilson is stuck looking in watching the window dressing gets blown right by easy, easy pitch and catch where of course, Kamari Wilson, I think hopefully even by the fall will recognize I take that tight end away. There's not a lot of places for them to go, but Napier has a good handle on that. That's why Louisiana has competed with teams that are much better than them during his tenure. The game is simple. It's not hard for the quarterback. He has a good knack for building a run game and then putting pressure on defenses. So that's why, obviously, for Florida, and I think if you're Napier, you're really excited about the fact of if I can get some playmaking tight ends in here, I can be really dangerous. And we don't have that now, so we're profiling Xanders, right? And we're profiling Geeter, and really anyone who's got a shot. Obviously, Elksness is going to be the guy that we think we hope emerges, but he's missed all the install time. So at the very least, there's some comfort in knowing that Xanders has the right body size, was a tight end, is an athletic guy. And then, of course, you have you have Zipper, who's who's a competent, right. solid tight end. So at least you got two. It looks like right now that you could put there body wise and could block and handle things. And Xanders is a long way to go blocking. He struggled even in the spring game sure. to sure up his block. So either that's way, a lot to ask from him. Correct, baby, stepping yeah. our way there. Yeah. This is more indicative of what's happened to the roster, and obviously of the incredibly curious transfer of Kamori gamble which just will unless someone gives me better information as to why that happened will continue to make absolutely no sense he would have been the feature guy and you would have had him presumably and zipper as the two guys which are fine so that's still going to be just a really weird weird thing um anything you want to note from the wide receivers or running backs yeah wide receivers are missing in action as we kind of talked about right not a lot of pop going on there um a lot of struggling a lot of struggling on proper route running uh the routes are very different the route tree is different the route depth is different uh we were running a lot of mesh routes and i don't think i saw a single one that was run even remotely correctly at all and right high school teams can run some great mesh routes they were horrible just really really poor um so they'll fix that stuff But I think you didn't see a lot of high-end greatness out of the receivers. You saw competence. You didn't see dropped passes, right? But that group, as we know, is lacking, Yeah, especially for Florida. Mm -hmm.
1: Speed and dynamism. There's a lot of guys who are functional and who are fine, but nobody who's going to wow you. I mean, the guy you would hope for is Henderson, and just didn't really have an opportunity to shine in this game. I mean – Weston makes a nice catch and, you know, blows up a bad tackle and makes it in the end zone. That was nice to see, you know. So, not like bereft of talent, but a lot of the guys you would say this is your third or fourth best guy. And you, you, they slot very nicely into that role. You're missing the first and second best guy. Yeah. And like all we over said,
2: that's a significant deficit yeah. on a team that wants to feature two guys. That's not great. Right. So, again, for Copeland, guys do what they want curious right he'd he'd have been a guy that fit in very well for this and as you and i know from spending some time uh after our last podcast that you get the full story sometimes on certain things and why certain guys transfer certain guys you love certain guys you don't love and oftentimes it makes more sense and it's not always as straightforward as let's just say the player wants to leave Sometimes there's family issues, there's pressures, there's things that go way outside what a fan or what you and I would look like at. Like a think. rational response to a football situation. Correct. So there's, there's different things, and I will say that, and we're always trying to be cautious when someone transfers saying that makes no sense. Well, you know what, maybe it makes sense if you've got a family member who controls your life and is basically telling you, if you don't go here, X, Y, Z will happen. You don't have a choice. That happens sometimes, right? Which is different than a player being disgruntled and leaving, which seems to be the Copeland case. But either way... There's deficits out there on offense. I thought we saw a lot of, of, of you know early install stuff, and, and most importantly, what matters the most obviously is we saw a very competent and 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 dangerous looking Anthony Richardson. So this was interesting. Um the run game. So
1: looked okay. I don't know what I would have wanted from the spring game. Spring is not the type of a place where you road grade people. Um not a lot of pop, not a lot of holes though. Uh, Montreal Johnson looks like a guy who's going to be just eating up yards for you, very profitable, functional player. Lingard, if they can can actually unlock him, theoretically, didn't get a lot of carries in this game. Bowman, I think, is going to be forever the guy that we want more from. That's just what my gut says, that he just, you see some things from him, but I don't know if we'll ever be the total package kind of guy. I mean, he's got a ton of speed. I don't know if he has all the other things again, really really early, but the fact that he didn't really play last year as a five-star kind of guy boxed out at Clemson comes here doesn't really make a dent in the depth chart. Not that our running back choices made a lot of sense last year anyway, but couldn't get snaps ahead of like a very just fine serviceable guy in Malik Davis, but I mean, again, you could find reasons for that under the previous regime. But that's just – I don't know, man. I, I, My gut with Bowman, and I would love to be proven wrong, is he's just going to be largely like a gadget guy for the rest of his career. We'll see.
2: All right. We'll keep track of that because obviously with Mullen, he wasn't playing young guys. No. And he wasn't playing Pierce. No. So whatever. Yeah, it could be way, way, way wrong. But we'll see. But that's your feeling, and I respect that. And I think the, the big key – and we talked about this, right – is if you were kind of raising an eyebrow, why would Florida take – and a Louisiana running back in Johnson when we have super talented running backs. Well, you saw it on display, and we talked about it. Zone running is a very unique skill set. It is not gap running. Gap running, you're running back, you get the ball, you hit this gap. That's what you do. You hit the gap. Simple, end of story. Zone running is not that. Zone running is you get the ball, and you have a choice every single time. So it's sort of like you're... You're jumping across rocks, across the fast-moving river, Alan. And if you're skilled at this, you do it very quickly. And you're bouncing gracefully between these rocks, right? And you saw Johnson was just displaying a really good command of sliding in the hole, in and out, maximizing runs, patiently waiting for those double-team blocks to develop at the next level. That's a skill set. Now, he's had a whole year of practicing right. it, but that is why Billy Napier wanted him here. And we talked about this. He can show the other guys how you do it. And most notably, Lingard had a, had a, on the goal line, had a zone run carry, not a gap run. And he just treated it like a gap run, put his head right into a defensive lineman and didn't score. If he would have taken two steps to the right, he walks in the end zone. He's got a huge gap there to walk in, but he's a battering ram, right? He's a power runner. And so there's this process of understanding, learning, and seeing. And that's why I think a guy like Montrell is so important to this team. And I think you saw that in this game um, is he's just going to be a very capable zone runner. And to your point, zone running takes a long time to install. It's easier theoretically to install because you don't have to have these unbelievably physically gifted linemen, but it's harder mentally. There's a lot more to think about. So it would make sense that the O-line didn't look explosive or committed or quick, a little sloppy at times, a lot to figure out there. So again, kind of what you expected, but if you were if you thought you were going to see some really cohesive, awesome looking run game, you know it's too early for that. All right, other takeaways for you that we haven't mentioned yet. I thought it was a successful debut. I think Napier feels happy with where they are. I think you recognize there's a lot of work, and I wanna I wanna hang this quote on the whole entire game, and especially for the offense. They asked him, "What needs to be done differently this season?" And he said, "We have to eliminate the bad football plays." And there was a lot of that on display in this game on both sides of the ball. And that is not a Napier reflection. That's not what his teams do. That is the lax, carefree, non-disciplined Dan Mullen stamp all over that team. And you saw it all over the field, including on on you know first and second team. You just saw classic stuff we saw before. It's not cleaned up yet. They're going to get it cleaned up. And that's kind of my takeaway on, on both offense and defense is if you're film studying it, you'd obviously look and say... They're not there yet. And spring games two years from now, I'll expect to see a much higher level product. And that's a good illustration, Alan, of what to expect from a year one install, right? The spring game three years from now will be a much more polished spring game. This is the beginning for everybody. There is no veteran on this team that knows what they're doing. And these Louisiana guys are shining because they had one full year of this, just only one year. So keep that in mind as we go through this entire season. It's, uh, It's year one
0: install.
1: Okay, you want to switch over to the defense? Let's do it. Just your overall impressions. Obviously, you already mentioned that, like it's a spring game. They're not being exotic. They're not trying to be crazy. Um, impressions there, and then just I'll go ahead and ask the follow up: Is what you thought you would see from it?
2: Yeah, I think simply the, the defense was disappointing. Um, we have a lot of talented secondary players, and and they played pretty well. Especially in the first team, you didn't hear a lot, but the first team was going against a you know, a an offense that was obviously stacked against them to win. You didn't hear it wasn't it wasn't like corners were getting beat, right? Per se. So they were fine. You never even heard Rashad Torrance's name because he was fine. They wisely weren't attacking those areas. They were attacking the soft spots, which were where they were. So it's it's hard to put a grade here. But the reason I'm going to say that it was disappointing is, obviously, if you looked at Louisiana's defense on film, we talked about this. Their back end was so clean. Their their linebackers were so fantastic at dropping and reading and moving, and ours are just hot garbage. It's terrible. And they're teaching them. And this goes to show you what the heck happened all these years with Grantham, teaching no one how to do anything. You know, Robinson teaching no one how to do anything. Our linebackers are clueless on how to play zone defense. And you saw it out there. They turn the wrong way. They don't know what they're doing. At least now they're trying to identify routes, but they don't have a clue what they're doing. So it's a big, big project. And then probably most disappointingly, Alan, and this is going to take time. I'm not hanging this on the coaches. The offense was able to run on both sides, those simple little kind of numbers-oriented screen passes. Mm-hmm. And largely because our linebackers continually line up right, basically right off the defensive end. Despite the fact that, again, you pull on Napier's film, they're constantly splitting the difference between a receiver and a defensive end. Our just, they are just not used to it. And I'm sure they're being drilled on it consistently. But you know the offense would throw one simple motion at them, and they would never get to the right spot. Because they don't know where the right spot is. So, disappointing. Take that very lightly. I would have hoped to maybe have seen the first team be a little snappier with where right. they were going and what they were doing. And maybe some of these guys are picking this up and they're looking clean. They drop into a zone and they, they identify a route combination and they get there. Just didn't really happen. And that makes sense. That's our weakness, right? They're picking on our weakness. So I'm not going to overplay that. But outside of that, I thought there were plenty of other things that were good, which we'll talk about. But the overall impression was a little meh to a little disappointing.
1: Right. They never, I don't know what they would have done in a real game, but they never really made the offense do anything they didn't want to do. They did not. Yeah, And again, that could have been by design a little bit. I think people so. like to be the spring game to be some points on the board and not, I think so. Not a three to three, as you said, rock fight. Yeah. You know, it felt a little m- too close to last year's team. As I think that was my takeaway. I w- like, if you kind of just not looking closely, it looks a little too much that way. Um, I'm not like really scared that they're going to stay the same way at this point. Um, But it does show that this is not going to be an an overnight change that, you know, you see some good pieces here and there. Um, The fact that they were able to disrupt the offensive run game pretty sufficiently, I think is a good sign, right? That their run fits were better. Um, They weren't getting mauled, even though you're, I think you need some help along that defensive line. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, um, yeah, you know there's some guys back there too. I mean, Kimber, Jordan Young. There's some guys who flash. It's like, okay, we got a bunch of dudes in the secondary that if they can get them going, I think that's going to be the strength of maybe the entire team other than Richardson. Like they could be that good. As a unit, again, we talked about, I think I finally said this as like, Co- we didn't have a coordinator. There was good pieces, but they were not. There was no coordination going on, which is in the name of the title. We're not there yet as a unit for sure, playing as eleven guys knowing what to do. Um, and I, I think that would have been a if we'd said that beforehand. Like, should they be at this? Is like, well, probably not. So I think there's no like, oh, good news. They're already way better, but. As you said, it's kind of mildly disappointing because I think we're still wearing the scars of the previous unit's like, inability to be cohesive.
2: Correct. And so in a way, I would have expected this to happen. That's what I want to convey because the way that Napier and Tony teach is is immersive. And if you're immersively teaching someone how to do something, you have to minute by minute go through your progression. And essentially, if your team is not getting it, you can't go past it. You can't go to day 10 install. You're still on right. a day one install, which is, look, I need you to get to this position over here, right? And and so that's why I'm, I'm going to say these coaches have had a great track record of putting great stuff on film. That doesn't happen by accident. So they're going to have to get these guys to get it right. And and like you said, it, that defense looks a lot more like a Grantham defense with how they moved and what they did. And there were some bright spots. So the defensive line, we talked about this a lot last year. We gave them praise. We gave them you know, some some issues, obviously some demerits, if you will. One thing that was already a big takeaway from both the linebackers and the linemen was that they were not just bull rushing on every play for the first time in a while. They actually looked like they understood, Oh, it's a run play. I'm going to hold, or it's a passing play. I'm going to hold my gap and put my hands up. That was nice. That matters. So I thought you're already seeing at that level that they're understanding they have to change how they're playing. And that was good to see because that that's something that's plagued Florida, you know, for quite some time. So you see little things here and there. I thought the safety play was much better. Uh, safety play was was decent. And they rotated a lot of guys to there, but too. a lot of different guys played safety, and they understood what to do. They were lined up correctly pre snap. They were moving in the right areas. They were not getting fooled. They were not blowing coverages. They were staying on top. So that I thought was nice. Um, so you know, all in all, fine. Spring games are not made for defense, right? True. And I think, again, as a fan, the key is like, if you're expecting some miraculous, immediate come out against Utah and look like a polished product, it's not going to happen. Now, Utah will not be a polished product either. There's a lot of work to be done between here and there. Um, There's going to be a lot of self-work that has to get done. Napier talked a lot about leadership in this game, Alan. One of the reasons you talk about that is there are no more practices until fall practice. But nothing is stopping your players from immersing themselves in playbooks, in film, on their own, right? And that I think is a big, big thing for this staff: is how much do these players buy into the fact that like you're not just a football player when you have to practice, but you need to get yourself there mentally, so when the pads come on in August, you're ready. So a lot of stuff to be done there. Um, you know, we could talk about a bunch of things that went right, wrong, or indifferent. I think in general. For the defense, not too much to say behind it. This is just a work in progress, and we're going to see a lot more later. Okay, ready to talk about special team teams or, excuse me, the game changers? The game changers. Bum, bum, bum. Not exactly game changing in this one. No, looked kind of rough overall. Right, fumbles and, on kickoff returns.
1: And, right, kickoffs out of bounds. So, I mean, I don't think anyone really cared. And in terms of what they worked on, that was probably towards the bottom, you know? Um, But I'd say the, the nice takeaway, Adam Mahalik, I think is how you say his name. Walk on kicker, booting some decent kicks, right? Uh, There's Trey Smack, which is a great name for a kicker. Incredible name. uh, Coming in the fall. But, you know, it's always nice to have some options, especially, you know, depending on a freshman can be a little uneven. And, yeah, I guess that was that's good for the team overall to have options there. We have solution at punter with Crosshaw. So if you're looking just at the specialist, that, I think that was the good news.
2: Yeah, I think that's great news. Um, basically two walk-ons going at it, right? But great news for him. He was having a great time out there. He's got a really nice, smooth leg swing. Not a huge leg, but a big enough leg. And like you said a guy who I think could get the job done if you had an injury to your talented freshman, or if he just loses it between the years, it's nice to have someone else that can make, let's say like a 35 or 40 yard field goal. looks like Adam is that kind of guy, but overall, again, don't take a lot away from special teams or penalties. It's very few coaches run a full game for this reason. These teams are not ready at this time. So I'm going to keep saying that because that's not what's important in these games. It's largely a quarterback game that's why we focus so much on the quarterbacks. And for special teams, it's the same thing, right? I mean, we'll we'll judge this stuff a lot differently come game one. But right now, don't worry too much about what you saw there. Well, in terms of penalties, we did get the Memorial-Brenton Cox offsides. You so have to have that. Good for
1: him to get that one in. It has in to happen. Game. It has to happen. <laughs> okay, let's move to just some overall thoughts here. Uh, let's start with Napier. You already mentioned him praising A.R. Um so they are interviewing him, I think, frequently on the broadcast, right? Any yes, the other, frequently. Any of the other takeaways from him?
2: Well, I just thought that you know he had a lot of great comments that were true. So he's talking about Jack Miller. He is defending him, right? But he basically says, hey, look, the reality is like we have issues with our depth with our second unit. And it's it's clear to see. And that's a factual statement. And if you take offense to that as a player and you're on the second unit, then get better. Right. And that's what I like about Napier. It's a competitive environment. He's not doing things to dog anyone, but he's going to tell you the truth. And we've talked about this on this podcast from the beginning, what you put on film is what's real. And so you're not taking like a personally offensive path to your team by saying, Hey, our second unit's not good enough. You're putting the film on and saying, this is not good enough. Period. If you want to be better, put better stuff on film and I will tell you where you are. So I thought he does a nice job of that along with being positive. Um, And then I thought the turnover chain comment, which has gotten a lot of play, was pretty great. So yeah, tee it up for a little bit in case people missed it. So in case you were at the game, you may have missed it. But on TV, they prominently showed it. Anytime someone scored a touchdown or there was a turnover, they had this like humongous chain linked, you know, pretty simple looking chain that they would put along the players. And obviously after the game, people asked Napier, is this a thing? Is this going to be a new thing in Florida? And his quote was effectively like, hey, no one told me about that. And no, that's not (laughs) Not going to be a thing. I and loved it. I loved it too because turnover chain, Miami did it. They made it cool, whatever. I don't want one. We don't need one. And I liked yeah. it right away. He put my fears to rest and said, that is not happening. <laughs> that junk is going away. So I appreciated that um, as well. And then I think lastly, you know, really for Napier again, spring games, where we are today, where the quarterbacks are, how he handled Emory Jones, how he's handling the roster, I could not feel better about the progress he has made from start to this point right now. Phenomenal. The real work is to be done, but I think you got to be really happy with coach Napier through this much of his career and we'll see where he goes. Um, but he's a guy that you, he's likable. He's genuine. He's authentic. He handled again, Emery Jones. I can't say it enough. That was a perfect way to handle that situation. And AR is your guy. He won the job and that Alan will speak volumes to the team. Can't tell you how much that matters to your football team. Because now if you're number three, you know, okay, hey, he's going to play the best guy, right? He's going to play the best guy. And you need that to be true across the board. So I like where we're going. I feel good about it. I liked his comments. I thought it was a phenomenal setup by him to be interviewed by ESPN so many times, but it doesn't feel like he wants the limelight. It's, a, it's an amazing thing, right? They're interviewing him. But he doesn't feel like he like needs the spotlight. So he walks that line really well, and I think that's going to benefit Florida for sure. So
1: something that's very obvious about his plan to build culture or team unity or even player development is, I guess, highlighting or putting spotlighting people, encouraging people, whatever, whatever you want to put on it. If you're on social media, you'll see, like, the player of the week is this or whatever. So during halftime, they had, like, all the players – you know, kind of lined up on either side of you know middle of the field. And there was this table in the middle. I was like, what, what is going to happen here? And so they announced, I don't know, 30 something award winners. I don't know. It was, I feel like half the team got an award, um, but it was various categories. It was like, you know, most improved. Um, so character guys, guys who love to practice leadership awards, things like that. Um, and a lot of times they connected it to a former player. So the first one they announced was the Channing Crowder Headhunter Award. Uh, I was having to explain to someone who awesome. Channing Crowder first was. First of all, brilliant. Yeah. That award is brilliant. And Channing Crowder was there. So each guy – sometimes there was multiple recipients of the awards. So they would walk up. Obviously, there's a photo op. They smile with Napier. Maybe you know, Crowder is in the picture too. And so, I mean, they were having to give away a ton of awards. There's no – it, so I think they knew, obviously, who was getting what. That was just the the announcement of it. But there was a Lomas Brown, offensive lineman, the Danny Werfel, most improved player. Um, I that think the, the Tim Joe, Tebow Tim Tebow, award, yeah. Joe Hayden, yep. defensive back. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys who got awards, right? But highlighting and really, I think, rewarding people and acknowledging people for how they've improved or or what's going on. So, I mean, that's a very public way to do that, but I think it just gives you a glimpse in how he thinks about um, the ways he wants to build culture, build up players, create more synergy both on the team and from the past as well It's like, you know, putting those names next to those awards, I think is, you know, it's not by accident. So it's kind of interesting, you know, it's not great to watch necessarily because it's going so fast. You're not even clapping for anybody. It's just kind of funny. It's basically a picture thought.
2: thon but I think for the players, it was cool. Oh, very cool, and and you nailed it. That is connecting the present to the past, and we had Ben Troop on this podcast back when we had guests. Sorry mm-hmm. for those of you that love him. We had guests, but and he said something that was really interesting at that time, if you recall, that essentially a lot of the modern players didn't know players that were even just 10 years preceding. They had no idea who he was. He'd show up. and He's like, wait, what? And you can see right away that, look, let me tell you, let me tell you what's happening now. If you're on the team, one, you want to win the Channing Crowder headhunter award, because I'm sorry, that's awesome. And if you're Channing Crowder, you're now bought into the program more because you're going to watch the guy who won your Channing Crowder headhunter award. And you might tune in through the fall and think, Hey, that's great. Let's root for that guy. You're tethered more in. And three, if you're a current player, you're thinking, I want my own award, so one day I can come back and I can have the XYZ award for whatever, and I'm tethered in, right? So you get a past, present, and future look. Brilliant program building by Napier. It's something he does best, and that stuff matters in every culture all the time. If you think it didn't matter back when Spurrier was coaching, it did matter. The best the best coaches built a culture, and Spurrier had a way of building his own culture. He needed a Bob Stoops to build the defensive side of the culture, but talk to anybody who played for Spurrier on offense. Super memorable, right? High energy guy, brainiac. There was something about him that players loved and hated, but there was a culture. And I think with Napier, he's got his own idea, his own thoughts. And I think that was a very wise and simple way to increase engagement. All right, let's put the spring game portion to bed and let's look to the future now, Alan. We talked a lot about positions we're struggling at before. I want to revisit it now with a spring game in a rearview mirror. What are some positions that we need to target in the portal
0: ASAP? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Well, it's been mentioned, but wide receiver. I think a really dynamic slot receiver would go a long way. We've already highlighted that we moved a former safety over there. I don't know if there's going to be a guy we would take, come available. I think Napier's mentioned a lot that he'll wants to upgrade the talent, which means you're gonna see some guys leave. Cause there has to be attrition to pull in players because we're we're pretty capped out. But I think that would be something they're looking for. Um I think offensive linemen anytime if you can get a high level offensive lineman, you'll take him. Although I don't know if it's like at the top of their wish list currently. Uh defensive tackle, I think is another guy. If you could pull in another kind of older guy with a lot of snaps especially with Lamar Goods going into the transfer portal. Um, there, there's a need there. I think that we're a little thin there. And, you know, I I don't know that there's anything else that like jumps out at me. Is like we have to go here. Tight end, if one comes available, those guys are hard to find. Everybody's trying to hold on to those guys. There's not a lot of the prototype type guy in college football in general, much less in the transfer portal. So I'm sure they would love to have that. They probably feel pretty good about the position if they get those two guys healthy plus Dante Xanders, they can play Keeter there. They don't feel like they're like have to just take warm bodies at the position, but I would say wide receiver, defensive tackle tied in theoretically. But again, as Napier said, if a excellent player who could jump into the two deep right now shows up on the porter, they're probably gonna take him. And that's what
2: matters. And that's the culture that we have big for for a long time is look, It's not disloyal to your team. It's not disloyal to your team, Alan, to bring someone on who can help your team. It's an important concept in life, right? It it feels unfair if all of a sudden somebody shows up in the 11th hour, but as a football team, your goal is to do what's best for the team. And that may mean that the 11th hour, somebody may lose a spot they had all year long, but if it makes the team better, the loyalty has got to be to doing what's best for the team and your players have to know that they have to know that that's the loyalty that wins. And it's also the right kind of loyalty, right? It doesn't mean that your worth as a human is tied to your value as a player, but that's what it's got to be. And that has, that's how it has to work with the portal. So for example, let's imagine that you love a guy who is your linebacker or tight end. You just think he's the greatest guy, but he doesn't have anything above Second string talent into the portal comes the guy who you think has first string talent who can help your football team. You got to take that guy. It doesn't matter if the second string guy has been there for five years. He's the best program guy ever. You have to take that guy. You have to take the chance that your team can be upgraded. And I have every confidence Napier is going to do what you just said. And I think that's the ultimate question that we need to answer is the portal is something you can observe. Okay. These players are now in it. Do they fit what we need? Do they add benefit to our roster? And if so, do I have a guy on my roster who's just really not going to make it? I've seen him. I've evaluated him and you move him out and that's not negative either. Hey, look, here's the deal at Florida. You're probably never going to be more than a third stringer. You could prove me wrong, but what I've seen so far may put you right here. And if you want to stay and prove me wrong, I'm all about that. But if you want to seek opportunities where you might get more playing time elsewhere, you can do that too. And you can have those conversations that are honest and open and evaluative, right? And again, coaches are wrong all the time with who they cut and who they shift out. And if I'm a coach, I lead with that. I could be dead wrong about how I've evaluated the situation. And I hope that I am, but as of right now for my evaluation, I have you here. And that may mean that your playing time will be X, Y, Z, right? And you have that kind of conversation. So I think you answered it well with that. And I agree with you, obviously position of need wise, um, it would be great if we could pick up even one or two or three guys that could challenge for a starting spot. It would change the composition of this roster heading into next year. Will that happen? Hard to say, especially given that if you're leaving from an SEC school after spring practice, you cannot play at Florida in the upcoming season. So you're looking at having to get guys from non-SEC schools um, to play. So that that adds an extra. Which is later.
1: fine. You, sure. There's still guys out there who could play in the There SEC, are. Oh, of but, course. Of course. I and mean, I think, as you said, just to comment on this a little bit more, like the fair thing, it might feel unfair or difficult situation for the guy who's getting "quote unquote" replaced or moved further down the depth chart. But you have to think about what's fair to the rest of the team. To not take that guy would be a disservice to the rest of the team, and I think that's what you're saying. It's well um, communicated, and you know, for the most part, yeah, you're not like I don't think the coaching staff operate this way. Like you're not booting a guy to take a guy, right? You have to have the
2: available scholarship. So if
1: you have an open scholarship, you're going to take a guy who's going to help your team.
2: Correct. Yeah, I mean obviously the gray shirting, the Nick Saban famous stuff, you know. I think again, if you're constantly evaluating fairly, you let your players know where you think they are, you let them know that you could be wrong about that, then you're going to win both awards. You should never tell anyone in life you can't do something. That is ridiculously foolish. People surprise us all the time, but it's fair to say, I have you at this level. It's only my evaluation, and I could be wrong. But because I have you here, here's your playing time. That's a fair commentary.
1: And we'll see how they handle it. We will see. All right. Some news, Alan. Well, hold on. Let me ask this question. Oh, yes, please.
2: Please. Yes. All right.
1: So this is just one data point amongst many that will lead us into the season. Right. But just watching the spring game, did this change your feeling about the team's
2: prospects next year? Did it go up or down? No, exactly the same, because obviously I'd like to think that I've been the highest on Anthony Richardson of, of the pundits or people that pretend to opine about this stuff, including us included. We're just really here opining, right? It's pretty, It's we hold it pretty loosely, but um, yeah, I thought this is exactly what I think we'd see from this team, and that's why we kind of talked about our, our ceiling floor and maybe what that would look like and what would happen, and I think we're right where I thought we would be. Um, glaring holes and weaknesses, issues in the roster, and also a super brightly shining transcendent quarterback, which can overcome for a lot of other positional deficits.
1: Yeah. I would think i mostly in where you're at, but maybe slightly higher floor, right? That if Richardson's going to be this good this early with offense, right? That, kind of ups the level of where I think he might be able to get to by the beginning of the year, which will translate into more wins throughout the season. Um, but pretty much the same. I don't I don't think I was expecting a revelation from the team out there. They didn't look bad. It wasn't, oh, whoa, we're screwed, right? And like you said, this is largely a quarterback thing. So if your quarterback looks good, you'll probably look good. So it doesn't mean that's projects everything for the whole season. But um, I guess it just – reduces the amount of
2: like downside I see in this team. I think that's accurate. I mean, I think that the schedule walk through this year is going to be really interesting because we will have to have the caveat. Well, if Richardson gets hurt, what happens then? Right. Because this team is going to be hanging on, on his prodigious talent. All right. You mentioned news wise that Lamar goods entered the portal. Is this is hurtful to the team in your opinion or something or just potentially death wise, for sure. I don't,
1: he's not a guy who's played a lot um, or hardly at all. But he's a big body. He was a four-star kind of guy, so not shocking to see him leave. I guess because he wasn't, you know, projected to be one of the starters. But man, you you got to watch out when you lose those guys like defensive tackles, like because you could probably find another slot corner, a safety out there, finding another guy who's three hundred pounds you can move is not easy. Yeah, um, that there, there's rumor that we're in, you know, could take one another defensive tackle, but. um, yeah, the, this doesn't hurt us, but it potentially hurts us depending on how things shake out.
2: Yeah, fair enough. All right, so you and I had a chance to uh, to do a walkthrough of the new facility after I said <laughs> that we would not have a chance to do a walkthrough and you'd have to watch a video. Well, turns out that one Scott Strickland reached out to us and said, hey, come do a walkthrough with me and I'll give you a tour. And he did. And I think it's safe to say, Alan, that you and I came away very impressed with the gargantuan surprisingly huge size of that building i mean i've walked past it driven past it countless times and it looks like a building but once you're in there it is huge it's huge and we and i myself especially had just a great time hearing all the stories behind how dan mullen put his stamp on this part and he was really big on you know making sure that things were efficient where you had the right departments next to each other and then napier comes in and he's got you know, a huge list of changes he's been making for how he wants things to go and how they view things differently. And I think that's actually the most beneficial thing that could have happened is to have this building done with basically two coaches putting in their input. That's a huge win for Florida, right? There's things Dan Mullen thinks of really well and things he didn't and vice versa. So you're going to get a synergy between those two. Uh, But it's a really neat building. And my big takeaway was obviously it's a huge selling point for Florida football. I also like that they allowed a good portion of the building in the front part to be for all athletes. And I think there's a big emphasis at Florida for trying to create a culture of athletic camaraderie, which is which is good rather than siloing them. At first, I thought this was going to be like a football team silo, but that's not true. In fact, the pool, the main dining area, um, it's all open to all athletes all the time. So if you're a football player, you have your own little key card that will put you in most of the facility that's just for you, but the other parts are totally accessible to other athletes. And I think that's really wise. I, I, you don't want to see programs alienated from each other. I think that's not great for the student athletes, not good for coaches. So I came away very impressed with how this thing is going to look. And obviously, if you imagine being a coach, it's just so efficient. It's right. so efficient for your program, whether it comes to working out or practicing Napier's office literally overlooks the outdoor practice fields with a balcony he could stand on. Uh, So a huge improvement for efficiency as an organization. Yeah, it is a very impressive facility, and they
1: seemingly have thought of everything, down to like the shape of the rooms, the doors on the rooms, where the defensive coaches are, and moving from one place to the next. Um, A word Scott Strickland kept saying was, adjacencies right so what is adjacent to what and it's all right there so from the indoor practice facility to the outdoor ones to this it's very smooth so i don't know i'd never thought about it too much but that walk from you know the stadium to the practice facility i mean that that puts some miles on your guys every day in fact they're not gonna have to do anymore it's a small thing but it could contribute to the overall success of the program even slightly. So you're looking for those little edges. Right. And I think just for the human component, I I think it, it it feels way better to not have to trudge across the, one of the busier streets on campus in your cleats. Right. Um, But I think it's going to be a huge selling point because it's brand new. Right. I don't, I don't think we're going to continue to see the kinds of arms races that we've seen in the past in terms of buildings because of the way NIL is going to go and everything. So I think this is going to be state of the art for a long time. Um, so we kind of got in here at the end. I don't know if for better or for worse, but uh, it's impressive. And I think the the hope is that the players are going to be in there at the end of June and that it's going to be start to be a functional place very soon. I mean, they still have a lot, <laughs> a long way to go. Um, and I'm sure it's not going to be completely done by then. They're going to have, still have some work to do, but yeah. Uh, the commitment that's been made to this program's success just in that building alone is a massive amount of commitment.
2: Yeah, for sure. And again, I think often it's easy to think of these facilities as like bells and whistles, but I'm going to say for the sake of Florida football, given what you mentioned, right. Players that are having to walk from the stadium to the practice field, you know, Scott was telling us, and and I've walked that many times in my life and I didn't recognize it, but basically there and back is about a mile plus every day. And so you're adding, you know, an extra 20 minutes to your walking commute. You have to ferry over all the equipment. I mean, it's just, a, it's a big burden to set that up every single day. It's time loss. It's effort loss. Like you mentioned, it's players walking back and forth consistently. Um, the equipment room is not efficient. So if you're just thinking about this from a, an organizational standpoint, how can I get better, train better, be better? There's an actual performance-based benefit of what this is going to do. And as you said, Alan... If we never changed it for 50 years, it would be fine. You could just upgrade the internal guts of it facility-wise, but the efficiencies are phenomenal. You have everything right in front of you. You go from where you work out to the indoor practice facility. You can go from there to the outdoor. You can go from there to dining. You can go from there to treatment. You can go from there to whatever your locker room. It's all right there. Your coaches, your meeting rooms, everything is there. And that is what you want as an organization. You know, I have an office here. Where I work, out, where if I had to like walk across the street every time to go print something or to go use my other laptop or to do, that would not be ideal. That would cause me time. So I think Florida gets maybe an extra benefit over some other schools who didn't necessarily have an inefficient setup, but theirs wasn't really shiny and brand new. Ours is both efficiency and shiny and brand new. So I think Florida make it a bigger benefit from this than just the typical facility build.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the this has been one of those things that it, not that the team is looking for excuses, but this has been a thing that's long been talked about. Florida is lagging behind in facilities, and that that's not going to be the case anymore. So um, I don't know. It's impossible to calculate that effect on the program, but um, I think – What you want to do with someone like Billy Napier is giving him every available tool and every
2: available resource, and he certainly has that right now. Yeah, he definitely does. All right, upcoming, we are going to do another May mailbag. So we do a March mailbag and a May mailbag, and hopefully we'll do this mailbag episode with Scott Strickland. So we'll take your questions for him. Obviously, Scott cannot directly answer every question with candid behind the scenes responses, but that's the hope. That's what we're looking to do. We'll let you know, of course, when that's going to happen, probably towards the end of May. And then lastly, before we close, it's worth revisiting basketball, Alan, you and I got more information after our last podcast about all sorts of things. I want to ask you this. You gave the hiring an a, I gave the hiring a C given what we learned, some concrete information about how things went down and what happened and et cetera, et cetera, do you want to change your grade of the Golden Hire? No, I'll keep it right there. Uh, a little bit more confident in
1: assigning it an A. And again, it's relative to where we are as a basketball program. We weren't looking to hire – I don't know, we weren't trying to steal Bill Self or something like that, right? So it's not like, oh, we didn't get him, so we failed. I think for the profile person we're looking to hire – the more I learned about golden, we watched a like coaching seminar where he talked about two foul participation and some more analytics driven concepts. Like seems like a really short, sharp dude. Um, and yeah, remains to be seen whether he's going to be able to like cut it in the recruiting trail. But, um, I, I I don't know. Some of the questions I had were answered and
2: I feel even more confident about it. what about you? So What's I gave bigger? him a C and I said, yeah. I felt like he's one of the smartest coaches in college basketball and that's true. And and he obviously says things that I've been dreaming of coaches saying, like you mentioned two foul participation, something that has driven me crazy for as long as I can remember in basketball. I also love his facts, not feelings as an investor. That's like my life. And so he, he's a, he's a math oriented guy but I gave him a C because I felt like A can he recruit and B how did he get here? Who else did we interview? Who could we have had right? After what I learned, Alan, and I cannot reveal what I learned, it must stay unrevealed. But after what I learned, I'm gonna I'm gonna join you with an A. All right. I think I think that given what we learned, and this is really important, right? We speculate oftentimes we know, oftentimes we don't know. We try to tell you both cases. In this case we know we have some good information. I think we hired the best guy we could have hired given the situation, assuming that there was no one else available to steal, like we mentioned, which I don't think that there was, right? I don't think, insert huge name coach at huge name school was not leaving. So I love it as far as that goes. And also we learned that perhaps Golden is quite a good recruiter. In fact, we're going to find out here at Florida. He's already pulling guys in. He's already generating some buzz. But I did say with my C grade, if he could recruit, this could be a phenomenal hire. But I'm going to go from a C to an A. And oh. I feel like given what we know now, that was an excellent, excellent hire. Um, and again, likable guy. I think a guy that you know has a lot to root for. And now we'll see if he can get it done. So we shall see. But either way, we All have right. two coaches that are very analytical. And that does make my analytical self very happy.
1: Yeah, and I think Golden obviously has way more question marks than someone like Billy Napier, right? Way more. So we were very confident in, like, Billy Napier and that this is the guy you want to bet on. Correct. Not that he doesn't have question marks either, but, you know, Golden could spectacularly flame out. His floor is very low and the ceiling is very high, so you get a huge amount of variance there. Where it's hard for me to imagine Billy Napier not being baseline successful. Now, could he get to the very top and get Florida to where they want to go. That that's the question mark there, but, um, it's nice to have two hires that you're pretty excited about.
2: Oh, it's great. It's great. And, and, and again, it's great. It's the modern era. I think Scott clearly has put an emphasis on modern era of sports analytics, intelligence, um, squeezing every edge backed with evidence instead of the old school, which we talked about all the time, the classic sort of football mantras or basketball mantras or doing things because we've done it this way that is not who napier or golden are and i for one obviously love that i like to operate that way in life so that is exciting it's gonna be an exciting next couple of years on this podcast as we get to chronicle and bring this stuff to you i'm looking forward to it i know you're looking forward to it and uh any closing thoughts from you alan here before we wrap this about this show up no I do it. All right, that's it. Well, thanks for being with us. It's great to be with you. We will be back with you here towards the end of May. We look forward to that greatly. As always, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
0: Mother's Day is almost here.